0: Hey, hey, welcome to Why Are We Whispering with me, Jenny Gay, author, stepmom, and all-around truth seeker and teller. If you're tuning in, you too are tired of sugar-coated content and conversations. This is the place where I put a megaphone to the mouths of adults, talking about life experiences that most of us find too shameful, too uncomfortable, too traumatic, and too embarrassing to discuss openly. We dive headfirst into experiences, thoughts, and behaviors that we keep secret or hush-hush, never truly speaking honestly and openly about them, but that most of us have in common. And I'm talking about it because life can be hard, it can be ugly, and it can be painful. And guess what? It's like that for all of us. So let's stop whispering. Welcome back everyone and happy new year 2024. I'm very excited to kick off season two, the very special guest. As we begin the new year, many of us will have set new goals and resolutions and one that keeps popping up in many of my chats with friends um, is alcohol. So many of us have a negative relationship with alcohol or at one time or another have felt that maybe our relationship could be better. Um, And some of you listening, if you've clicked on this link, perhaps you're even questioning whether you yourself are an alcoholic, Um, which can be a very terrifying thought um, or a realization. But with poor alcohol habits costing the UK economy $52 billion and the US economy $250 billion, it's not a topic we can or should shy away from. That's why I've asked Ruri Fairburns. My Canadian accent, guys, I cannot, I'm so sorry, Ruri, I'm going to butcher your name every time. (laughs) (laughs) I've asked him to join me today. He is the founder and CEO of One Year No Beer and a leader in the health and wellness space with an award from the Great British Entrepreneur of the Year Award under his belt, and he's also been named Economic Innovator of the Year in the UK. Ruri is helping hundreds of thousands of people across the world change their relationships with alcohol and uncover better versions of themselves, which I absolutely love. I'm really, really looking forward to having a really honest, uh, perhaps painful chat for many, you know, we all need to be having with ourselves and with our friends and our family. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me, Jenny. Super excited (laughs) to be here and hopefully, hopefully inspire some people to just maybe think about drinking a little bit less in 2024. I think yeah. that's the message. It's just, it's
0: just Let's just start there. Yeah. yeah. Nice and easy, um, right? That I, You know what? It's a doable goal, and I love doable goals. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who aren't aware um, or familiar with One Year No Beer, can you just let our listeners know what it is?
1: Yes. Well, uh, One Year No Beer is um, was originally designed to be this challenge, right? Where effectively we thought about it like, oh, imagine you think about doing the marathon Now, not everybody w- wants to go and run a marathon, right? But some people do the 5k, some people get to the 5k, some people do 10, some people do sprints. So, but we started off with the name in there, right? So it was like one year, no beer. That's the goal. The goal is to go and do a nice long stint of alcohol. And um, in that process, you're going to see that actually You didn't need it. Um, It's not very helpful. It's actually causing lots of problems. You know, bits and pieces of your life are going to get better. Um, And we also created little bite-sized chunks like the 28-day challenge and the 90-day challenge to help people just sort of start getting that ladder up. But what it was all based on in the beginning is really how do we help people see the advantages and the benefits that come from taking a break from alcohol? In fact, what we saw was most people – are actually searching for the benefits of what taking a break from alcohol gives you. Most people are looking to lose weight, um, get fitter, exercise more, be better in their relationships, be a better parent. Most people are looking for more productivity, more energy, more clarity, more focus. Most people are looking for more money, more time, more energy, more vision, more purpose in their life, right? And it turns out that all of those doors open, when you change your relationship with alcohol. So we kind of had to, we started trying to say, and you know, I stood out there in Piccadilly Circus going, Hey, everyone, stop drinking. It's amazing. And everyone was <laughs> like, Shut up, go to the yeah. pub, right? <laughs> you weirdo. And so we were like, Hmm, maybe we need to sort of trick people into it. Um, and, and so that's where we came up with this idea of creating a challenge. Let's make it cool. Let's make it fun. And, you know, ultimately what will help people do is see the truth.
0: I love that. Make it more palatable for people or more or yeah. less daunting to, you know, embark on that, on that journey. So what is your story then? Were you an alcoholic before or what's your story behind creating it?
1: yeah so um I was an oil broker in central London, and uh, you know it 's pretty synonymous with drinking culture, lots of partying, lots of having fun and that hit my matched my a d h d like brain perfectly, right I could spend all my time whining dining i mean lunch could start at twelve and finish at six a m the next day um and um so you know that and that was just work and doing business so it the two kind of married each other very well Um, and it was great fun I loved it I've put on some enormous parties in some of the biggest clubs in the UK you know all sorts of crazy stuff like that lots of fun um so uh but you know in the back of my mind I knew that alcohol was was holding me back um and when I sort of expressed that doubt when I said hey I you know, I think this thing with alcohol, I was absolutely ridiculed. You know, yeah. it was immediately shut down. What? What are you talking about? Alcohol's amazing. It's the best thing. If I could drink more, I would. Right. Yeah. You know,
0: and, so, and shut up. Stop ruining my fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
1: and or you're committing commercial suicide if you stop drinking or mm-hmm. nobody's going to like you if you don't drink or you want to be one of those sober weirdos. Ugh, how boring or not drinking is so boring. So I was like, oh, OK, I'll go back in my cage. Now, I just want to tell you a little bit about some behavior science here. So imagine for a second that they have this classroom, and the teacher is in there teaching the classroom some, some things. And there is one individual, and the rest of the class, all 30 of them, if you like, are all actors. Now, the one individual does not know this. And the teacher puts up a question on the board, and the teacher says, which one of these lines is longer? Okay. Now A is very, very short. B is very, very short. D is very, very short. C is obviously long. Like just it's obviously C. And then the kids start answering the question. And as they go through answering the question, these actors, they're all going, I think it's A. I think it's A. Obviously the wrong one. And as they get all the way through these kids, eventually they get round to the the person who's not an actor. And because of that peer pressure of the decision... Guess what the kid does 100% of time? The kid goes, I think it's A, okay? Now, that is the power of pressure, of societal conditioning, is that we will all continue to follow until what? This is really important. If you run the same experiment, but one person in that actor group goes, well, I think it's C, but I'll go for A. So in other words, an expression of doubt. Then every single time, The kid will always go for the right answer. It's obviously C. So what does that mean? That means that when we are out there trying to change our relationship with alcohol, if everybody around us is completely belittling it and normalizing it and everything else, and there's no expression of doubt, it's incredibly hard for us to change. We just follow on with everybody else. Similarly, if there's one person there who's not drinking... One person there who's choosing to drink less, one person there who's sober, right? Or who's talking about it. That will give you permission. And this is the importance of talking about this message, about making sure that we let people know.
0: Yeah, so powerful. I absolutely subscribe to that. The power of doubt. I love it. Yeah. Um, And so, okay. So for those who, there's a stigma associated with, well, if I'm not drinking, does that mean I have a problem? No one wants to use the word alcoholic or alcoholism. For those who maybe the fear of even embarking on a new new journey towards building a different relationship with alcohol is the fear that they will either be stigmatized with alcoholism or they themselves will come to the realization that, oh my God, maybe I am an alcoholic. How is this different? How is One Year No Beer different to yes. AA?
1: Okay, well... Um slightly challenging with our branding but when we started we started with hey come stop drinking and we grew this business and yet we had a lot of challenges right lots of challenges and then we started to look at the data and then we have a survey taken by now nearly 40,000 people in 100 odd countries right and um, when we looked at that data and we started researching our users we were gobsmacked so we would have conversations with people who said you know, I was watching your Facebook advertising for years before I signed up to the challenge. Years. Why years? And as we kept having these conversations, what people were saying was, and sorry, then we looked at the survey results, and this is really stark in there. What would you like your relationship with alcohol to look like? 6% of people want to be abstinent. And that means that 94% of people... Don't want to stop drinking alcohol. So if our program is, hey, come stop drinking. If the only message we're sending out to people is, oh, do you have a problem? You need to stop drinking. Then they are going to try on their own. They're going to try and fix it because they're like, I don't want to stop drinking. So this is my big message to the world. We have to talk about control. We have to talk about helping people cut back. We have to talk as I started this podcast. Hey, why don't we just try drinking a little bit less this year? Right now on that journey, right on that journey of helping somebody reduce, we can help them see the truth. What is the truth? The truth is alcohol is 100% toxic. Alcohol is severely impacting your mental health. Alcohol Mm -hmm. is severely impacting your body. Alcohol drinking is like giving yourself the flu, the cause of inflammation, the problems in your body. It creates a breeding ground for cancers. It is directly linked to major cancers, six of them, and more growing as we start to do more research. It's Mm -hmm. directly linked to dementia, all sorts of things like that. So, okay, well, that's the health thing, but then... What about if we take you through an experience, right, which helps you see with clarity the truth. The truth is that everything you want, okay, to be successful, to be happy, to be healthy, to have great relationships, to lead by example, to have respect and love from your family and be present with them, to be a good present parent, to be fit, to be productive, Everything that you want in your life is actually being taken away by consuming alcohol. It's actually taking away from this. And when you see the truth yourself, because it doesn't matter some bold guy on a on a podcast trying to convince you, it doesn't happen. I've tried, trust me. But when you see it for yourself with data, with evidence, with clarity that actually this thing is not my best friend, this thing mm-hmm. is not helpful. This thing is actually making everything else worse. Well, guess what? That's when you choose most of the time not to drink it. And that comes from an empowered place, not a place of deprivation, not a place of loss, not a place of, oh, I can't drink because if I do, I'm going to fall down the rabbit hole and drown myself or my whole life will fall apart. But a place of, no, I just, I just have no interest in adding that right now. Bear in mind here, Jenny. We've talked about how toxic it is. We've talked about how horrible it is, all of those things. And yet I still have a drink now and again. I still, you know, want to sit down sometimes with that celebratory dram with my family member because something happened. Like, because there's all this ceremony, because there's all this stuff. I still yeah. want to, if I choose to, I want to go to a stag do and try and pretend to be with the boys. By the way, I've done about 15 stag do's completely alcohol free. They're amazing. I highly recommend it. But still, I want to be able to do that. Why not? I mean, I feel horrific after doing it. I feel Mm -hmm. horrendous from the truth. And so I don't do it very often. And I think that is the natural way and the best place for people to have it is that either they're completely abstinent, which is the best way to be physically and mentally, full stop, Mm -hmm. or if they do choose to drink, it's just now and again, they choose to take it or leave it. And those are the two spots.
0: Yeah. And I want to, so I want to go back to your points about how their alcohol is a detractor. Yeah. and so these are facts. We know these things. We know it's a poison. We know what the detriment to our health, our well-being, our mental health, physical health, our family dynamics. We know we know all of these things. But there's so my wife and I we are massive fans of Brené Brown. Yay! <laughs> and she, she shame. Talks, I, I love it. I live Let's for talk about it. Right,
1: shame, everyone. Yes. <laughs> so
0: she talks about the story we tell ourselves and i think it is so relevant to this this conversation because even though we know factually that alcohol is a poison essentially and we are willingly poisoning ourselves the story we tell ourselves is that it's not that that we don't and even if we are drinking let's say four or five times a week the story many of us tell ourselves is well i'm not drinking that much it's it's just on the weekends We are actually, and I'm finding this with my conversations with even some of my friends who are heavy drinkers, that there is a very bad relationship with the story that we're telling ourselves and the truth. We are not telling the truth when it comes to our alcohol consumption, and we are lying to ourselves about what we are actually doing to our bodies physically, to our minds mentally, and to our life, our livelihoods and and the way that we're living. So in order, I, I would imagine that in order for one year, no beer to even come into somebody's life, you would have to start changing the story that you're telling yourself. How would you recommend people go about doing that?
1: Well, you know, I kind of sort of look like a white version of him, but I get the blue pill and the red pill. and Yeah. I say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I am Morpheus. But seriously, how do you take somebody from the Matrix? Because that's where they are. Mm. And we have to respect that. Now, you have to respect that so much that imagine you went to Neo and said, hey, Neo, all of this is made up. This is actually computers and robots and you're in a world that's totally different. He would say, shut up. And that is where people are with their drinking. And yet, all the time, we've got sober influencers. We've got people out there going, there's no benefit to alcohol. It's absolutely sin. And all you've got is people on the matrix going, what? What world do you live in? All it does is create this huge divide between the realities. So we have to meet people where they're at. We have Mm -hmm. to get people to understand what the road is. What is the pill that somebody will take that can lead them into? Now, obviously, in The Matrix, he goes from a beautiful, pretty world into what is a pretty horrible world. So that's maybe, maybe it's the other way around, right? Um, In truth, because world does get technicolor. So let's meet them where they're at. Let's make the conversation being are you trying to lose weight this year yeah okay cool well do you know how many calories in alcohol did you know that actually drinking alcohol specifically hampers your ability to process that fat and weight loss so it's far harder for you to lose weight if you are consuming alcohol because it Mm -hmm. all goes through the lymphatic system yeah so so and then right so okay but um are you anxious and depressed okay they say one in three people in the uk are on antidepressants Wait for this. Alcohol is 100% successful at being a depressant. Mm -hmm. Sleep deprivation is 100% successful as a depressant, right? Not exercising has been proven to be 100% successful as a depressant. You have people going into the doctor's surgery saying, I'm not sleeping, I'm not exercising, I'm drinking alcohol. Okay, here's an antidepressant. And if you look at the work by Johan Harry in Lost Connections, he shows that no antidepressant has ever beaten a placebo. That's less than 3% success rate. Okay, so I I digress there. But what I'm saying is, okay, so you're anxious. Well, you know alcohol is causing that anxiety. Have you thought about just maybe cutting it back to see if your anxiety goes away? Um, What about you're depressed? Have you thought about just reducing this alcohol consumption, maybe even taking a little bit of a break to see if that depression goes away? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, you, what about um productivity? You know I really want to build my business this year. I really want to improve my career this year. Have you thought about just taking a break from alcohol? So I think that is where we meet people this is they 're in the matrix and this is what they want and so if we go in with the message of there is no benefit there 's absolutely the devil, you have to be sober, all of these kind of things it 's just too it 's too great a leap for the people in the matrix and I think Unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately with that, that means that we are not helping people earlier. People have to get to a more serious relationship. This is the thing that I talk to all the time with people, okay? Prevention is, for the individual, considerably harder, okay? You're talking about going to a doctor and saying, I I think I might break my elbow one day, so I would like to just make sure it's well-toned, right? So that, that problem... That's it. Just doesn't happen, right? Mm. And so, when it comes to our relationship with alcohol, because the wheels haven't fallen off yet, because the doctor hasn't said you will die if you have another drink of alcohol, or because you have had a major incident or a relationship, right, where the the partner says, "Look, that's it. I can't stand your drinking anymore. I've had enough." Because those things haven't happened, the rock bottom. It's incredibly hard to change. Okay. Yeah. I just want to dial into this one briefly, but. What happens is, because of that, society normalizing drinking, all of that matrix, right, we've built up those neural pathways in our head that all of it is normal. It's just a hangover. Oh, well, I just, you know, I fell off that table last night and ended up in AE. You were a good crack, right? You know, all of those things are just normalized and everything else. So that is happening inside our brain. So if we want to change our relationship with alcohol, we have to push through that, which is why one of the first things I ever do when I work with people is I say, Hey, look, you know, when you go to the doctor and you actually tell him you drink less, that is not serving you. If you want to change, you have to create enough psychological pain or enough psychological pleasure or both. So do that. Write down the truth about what yeah. alcohol is costing you. Write down the truth about how you feel on a Monday. You At the moment, it's just in your brain, and then your subconscious just says, it's fine, don't worry about it, it's okay. Are you avoiding meetings? Yeah, are you avoiding meetings? Are you cancelling appointments? Do you ever say, oh, I'm too sluggish, I can't go into work today? Do you, ever, you know, what about your relationship? Are you arguing there? Is it a fight? Is it... So when you write all that stuff down and you get clear on the pain, that is where change comes from in that bit there. So, yeah.
0: I think that's a brilliant first step for, for people to, to start there. Um, and, and I say this to my kids all the time. You say it out loud, it loses its power over you. Mm-hmm. And I think the same can be applied here and it can be applied to almost everything in life. But I think that's a great, great um, first step. So I want to talk about the truth and the inner saboteur because yes. we all have one, and this is completely linked to what you were just saying how would you suggest people begin to tackle that? Is it writing it down? Is it saying it out loud? When, when was the first time you had the conversation with yourself and said, I want to change my relationship with alcohol and kind of quieting that inner saboteur?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I wanted to, I mean, it was months and months and months and months and months, perhaps over a process of years while I was an oil broker of it niggling away, niggling away, niggling away. Um, The first practice that exploded it that I then couldn't ignore the noise um, was meditation. Um, so Ooh. I just started doing meditation, 10 minutes on the train there and back. And the thing about meditation and the reason why everybody should do it, um, is that it builds a gap between stimulus and response. And inside that gap is wisdom and intuition. Okay. So stimulus is I stub my toe, no gap, expletives and throwing things around the room, right? Frustration. And we do that when we're tired, when we're snappy, when we've been hungover, right? So it really closes that gap. Um, And then so when there is a gap and you stub your toe, you're like, oh, (sighs) or similarly, somebody cuts you up on the road. You're like, oh, that's just somebody whose wife is pregnant in the in the seat and they're rushing to hospital. Right. So that inside comes that intuition, that wisdom in our businesses. Right. Intuition and wisdom can be the difference between hiring a disastrous leader. Right. And not. So we need as business owners, we need. Um, our, our wisdom, our intuition as much as possible. Now, alcohol mm-hmm. closes that gap, reducing your ability to tap into your intuition and wisdom. And meditation builds that gap, increasing your access to that intuition and wisdom. So you will make better decisions in your business. I mean, as a business owner, I know how costly it is to make a poor decision. You know, it's not just money, it's time. And and it can be the knock-on effect is huge. Yeah. So this is why really i think that's a small way to start and what we said before was you know getting aware of the pain well that is uh, meditation builds awareness and yeah. so what we start to see is hang on a minute i've got this why am i thinking about having a drink tonight um what is it about that that's going on right and then you can start to un- unpack or so
0: you or have to sit answers. in the pain yeah. and you have to be brave enough to sit in the pain
1: well i think that there's also there's lots of factors into there um Mm. so yeah there's lots of people who say oh when i stop drinking then you really feel the true emotions um you know alcohol is the most readily available tool for packing down our emotions Um, and when we get deeper into it which is i think where you're you're headed Um, The source of the vast majority of our compulsive behavior, so one of the major core drivers, and what we look at in our complete control program is a smorgasbord of core drivers, and we help people understand for them what's driving it and coach them through changing it. Um, And so... Um, the the major source for the vast majority of us is our past experiences. Our our past experiences, predominantly as a child, so between zero and seven, we don't have, it's not really switched on yet, our prefrontal cortex, this area behind the brain. Now, the prefrontal cortex is used to make rational decisions, okay? So what does that mean? Well, when somebody shouts at you today, you go, oh, that's somebody who hasn't slept well. I hope they get a latte at lunch or whatever. Um, And But as a child... Without a prefrontal cortex, when we're shouted at, when we're left alone to cry it out, when we are spanked or when we are all of those things. But more importantly, when some of these things are even happening in pregnancy, if you look at the work that Gabor Matti and some of the research he's talking about, you know, you're five times more likely to be neurodivergent if your father was depressed during pregnancy, now, Gabor Mate says that neurodivergence, ADD, ADHD, bipolar, OCD, these things are actually just a coping mechanism for a traumatized child. And then yeah. you've got inherent family trauma, right? You've talked about alcoholics or alcoholic parents, grandparents. Yeah. So we all have trauma. And the thing about trauma is people I speak to all the time say, well, I actually had a very, I had a great child. I had a great upbringing. My parents were great. I understand that. But the the simple fact is that childhood is traumatic, not that right. you necessarily had significant trauma, because it's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. It's about how you perceived a moment. And the moment could be something slight, somebody saying something to you in a playground, right? So, but w- when you look at that, you say, gosh, well, we all have trauma then. Yeah, we do, because the trauma creates unprocessed emotions. And then our society does not teach us how to deal with emotions. So yeah. these emotions are trapped inside of us. And unfortunately, emotions are toxic if they are not processed. So they turn out in addiction. They turn out in, in autoimmune diseases and disorders. They turn out, if you look at Gabor Mate, in diseases and ill health. And mm. So I say to people all the time, you came on the call now to change your relationship with alcohol. But if we do this work, we're going to help prevent disease, disorder, poor mental health, various other things by doing this work.
0: Do you think that um, a lot of the poor relationships with alcoholism in your adult years can be prevented if your parents introduced a different environment around alcohol in childhood? And I'm not necessarily referencing um, your parents being alcoholics themselves. I'm just talking about alcohol in the environment when you are a child. Well, absolutely. But what I found really concerning actually is I was um, looking at a study by Mm alcoholchange.org and a couple of stats here that I just really blew my mind and it it has actually impacted the way that I am going to be around alcohol in front of my children as well in the home. So it's saying 44% of children between 11 and 15 have drunk alcohol. Mm. Um, yeah. the 11 year olds made up 14% and the 15 year olds made up 70% saying that they've had a drink. Now here's the even more shocking stat of the kids who obtained alcohol, 71% were given it by their parents. Yep. 49% were given it by friends and 48% took the alcohol from their homes with permission. So we're talking about parents providing the poison to their kids. Yeah, it's
1: I want to add, add in one one little factor into here. Mm. Um, and um, just bear in mind, the poison word is, is very triggering for people who are in the matrix. Because okay. Because the vast majority of people out there are very happily consuming this thing. And yeah. there's lots of confusing studies out there. I mean, that guy on Netflix just proved that, Alcohol in the blue zones increases longevity. Biggest pile of shit I've listened to. I had to switch it off. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, but that's one of the m- most watched documentaries right now. So we have to be careful from disassociating because when you start keep calling it that, people just they dis- they they, they switch off. They tune out. Right. Okay, and we want to yeah. keep people listening. So here's the next thing. One other stat to take on from that is significant. There is one single factor above everything else, demographics, where you live, what country, all of those things. There's one single factor across the the world which will indicate your propensity for alcohol use disorder through your life. Guess what that one factor is above everything else? Tell me. The age you start.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, oh, so... I'm, uh, for me, I mean, my, so me and my wife, we grew up in two very different households, very different households. I grew up in a household where we were all athletes, we were physically active, um, alcohol was never a fixture in our home, um, you know, it was something that was more, my parents might have had a couple of glasses at Christmas, um, it wasn't, you know, readily available, like it just wasn't something that we ha- put any emphasis on in our home, my parents certainly Um, Now my wife grew up with a mom who was a raging alcoholic and she's very open about this story as well. I'm not, I'm not, you know, telling her story for her. So she talks about this often, um, raging alcoholic, very abusive, completely destroyed my wife's childhood. Um, you know, her father as well was a heavy drinker. Um, and I want to get into actually the dynamics between partners who, don't drink in partners who do drink, because I think that's an interesting um, topic of conversation as well. But, and anyway, so her relationship with alcohol started very, very early. I'm talking childhood, um, like childhood, childhood. Um, And it was because it was left, you know, on a coffee table where she thought it was juice and, you know, it snowballed from there. Mm -hmm. And now my wife never had an issue with alcohol, um, she chose not to drink simply because she saw what it did to her mother. Um, but the, I think there's something definitely to be said about the environments that we create for our kids, whereas I didn't start drinking until university. And even then, I didn't drink that much. My relationship with alcohol um, kind of became more toxic, similar to your story, actually. I was in financial services working in the city in London and all that kind of stuff. But... And I'm telling you, like, the amount, like, girl can drink. Like, I could hold my booze. You know, my first. You have to. You have to. You have to. Absolutely. And you know what's. You wouldn't have a job
1: in the finance industry if you couldn't. (laughs) No, absolutely.
0: You you would have to quit. But it's funny because in my. When I I started off my career at a grad school in Toronto and working on Bay Street, and I was working for uh, an investor relations firm, and the CEO in my final interview, do you know what the last question was that she asked me? hit me. Can you hold your booze? Yeah. That was for her an indicator as to whether she wanted me on the team because she's like, I can't have somebody who can't drink.
1: No, that's the point. Exactly.
0: And I just thought, oh my God, what am I walking into? Well, you know, 10 years in the game, I can tell you it's just one big pile of alcoholism. in financial services. It was fun. It was fun. I had a great time. Are you kidding me? But
1: (laughs) at the time you were excited about that idea and you were proud and you were excited. And this is the part where we've got to blend that matrix element of the reality of the conversation where people are at, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and I had a wild time. I've had so many stories and fun and everything else, like absolutely wild. Um, And I think, I think the reality is. Um, the only way that we will truly change our relationship with alcohol is when there is a far less toxic substance. Um, and this Ooh. is the work that that um, Do- Dr. David Nutt is doing and many others on functional drinks. Um, and, the, and and there's no point in saying to people that you don't need to take the edge off because we live in the most stressful world. I mean, they've got more war going on now. I mean, there's even more countries involved in today. Right? You know? So... so That war, that uncertainty, that fear, the pandemic, stressful lives, driven money, cost living crisis. Good Lord. No wonder people need something to take the edge off. But let's give them access to something that isn't 100% toxic. Yes. Right? Let's give them something that can help. And there are far better drugs. Listen to the Drug Science Podcast. We Need a Drug Revolution. Listen to Dr. David Nutt let's change what's happening with the drugs because there are far better substances for out there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I got on and, my high horse there. Sorry, Jenny. Well, I
0: get very passionate. Get on my <laughs> high horse and ride it into the sunset. I love it. <laughs> but
1: but what, we, what we, what we, because I went off on one, but, but the, 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 the truth is, you know, Let's remember that there was lots of fun and things like that that's attached to it. And that gets us back to a reality of, wait, let's help people drink less. Let's find good alternatives that can support people better. This is the transformation I think we need in society.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not standing on a soapbox here because I I myself enjoy a nice glass of Amarone.
1: Yeah.
0: So I still we'd, enjoy you know, my drink.
1: Godfathers. That used to be the staple diet. Me and me and the boys. I mean, we'd do a d- big deal or something like that. We'd rush down to the pub downstairs 50 ml of whiskey, 50 ml of... um, Oh no, Amaretta, that's what it was.
0: (laughs) No, 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 that's very different to Amaroni. Oh my God, no, No, we're talking about a nice red wine here, Ruri.
1: It's very different uh, to to dear, I put myself under it there.
0: So I want to go back to the... um, And we touched on this actually right before we started recording the podcast. But um, So as many people know, I... My wife doesn't drink. She um, has gone through periods of time where, you know, she wouldn't drink for six months. Big shout-out to Sam. Yeah, shout-out to Sam. Um, Absolute badass, yeah. (laughs) And um, she was the one who actually, for those who don't know, um, introduced me to One Year No Beer, and that's why we're here sitting here today. Mm So um, (laughs) Sam herself, you know, um, did a stint with – sorry, the challenge, I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, And she loved it, and it absolutely catapulted her into – um, living an alcohol-free life.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, now the question I get asked all the time by friends, family members, what is it like being married to somebody who doesn't drink when you drink? Um, and I think the answer to that is different for everybody. Um, but for me, it's the success of our, because it can actually ruin relationships. If oh, one totally. person doesn't yeah. drink and the other person does, and it changes the way that you celebrate that. things. It changes the way you socialize. It changes your social circles. It changes the way you you spend your spare time. Um, and for us, it's all rooted in communication. So we make sure that we, if Sam's ever feeling like, okay, we're socializing too much where alcohol is involved, can we do something with somebody or a friend group that doesn't involve alcohol, let's go for a hike. So we're honest, honesty, I guess, honesty and communication about where we're at with that. Because the truth of the matter is, is when we are socializing, it usually does involve going out for dinner and, and ordering nice wine and, or, you know, going to a charity function where there's alcohol, you know, so you have to, I think, have that open dialogue within your relationship, but also Sam doesn't, she's, you know, getting on her soapbox and pontificating to me all the time about the dangers of alcohol and all of that, you know, because that would just be absolutely exhausting and that's not sexy. And, um, you know, you feel like you're being scolded or parented or or all of those things. So it's really important that you guys strike that balance um, within the dynamic. What would you um, recommend for people who are maybe struggling with that.
1: How long you got? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, as long as you want it. <laughs> I mean, we could do a part let's two. Start,
1: let's, let's, let's start in segment one of this. Okay. Um, and, uh, I think the greatest mistake I ever made in my marriage, very tumultuous marriage, Jen had significant childhood trauma. Um, and, um, I have trauma. We all do, as I said, but mm-hmm. she had a very traumatic childhood. Um, and so she was very angry and I'd just rather have a drink and, with the boys in the pub than I would go home. I mean, who wants to go home to that rubbish? Right. So, and that's quite common there are lots of men who would rather steer via the pub and everything else so the thing about relationships it's both cause and effect right our drinking causes an issue on our relationships and obviously um our broken relationship or a challenging relationship all that rumination creates stress which then drives us to want to have a drink so that's symbiotic and all through it Mm -hmm. the first thing i learned was I stood for years and years and years, staring at this woman opposite me, demanding her to change. Similarly, she was too. You need to change, and you need to change, uh, Jenny. You know, when you're married to a man, and man, men are not very good at emotions. Haven't done any talking. I'm making some generalizations here, right? Uh, very, you know, just before talking. You said <laughs> communication. You know, me and Sam use communication. There'll be lots of people who are in marriages where that doesn't exist. They don't even have yep, that, fair. right? That's totally fair. Okay, yeah. so so we've got to start right down at the bottom here, which is two people who are expecting each other to change. I absolutely guarantee you, without a shadow of a doubt, stop wasting your freaking energy on that other person and go all in on yourself. That is the number Ooh. one most important thing, okay? Love now, that. how do we change... Behavior in our immediate circle, we always lead by example, always lead by example, so let 's add on that hat. I now lead by example let 's switch off the noise of the idiot that i 'm married to who's refusing to change, and let 's just focus okay that 's a bit harsh, but you get what I mean. the person i I love and adore and am married to, but is stuck in their ways and let 's just mm. go all in on my personal change now, no matter where you think you are, even if you think you're ten and they're one you're still wrong because you're not 10 you're nowhere near 10 and you know it honestly you've got so much more to go so go all in on your personal change especially if it's with 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 alcohol right now Mm -hmm. the second thing to remember here is what people do is they start changing their relationship with alcohol and then they start giving hints do you really want that second glass um and or shall i get you an alcohol free one or do you have to drink so much Which is so
0: annoying though
1: so annoying so (laughs) Get back to your bloody corner and focus on yourself. It's not ready for you to start preaching to other people yet. You're still figuring this out yourself. So the next thing is the journey of changing your relationship with alcohol takes years Okay, Mm. the starting the expression of doubt for yourself is, do you know what? These hangovers are actually costing me a bit much. And there's lots of men out there who have a very high, they have much higher ability to process alcohol. Metabolism for alcohol is higher. So in other words, Mm. they can drink more without getting a hangover. And there's loads of people who don't actually even get hangovers. So their expression of doubt of I need to change my relationship with alcohol is a long time away. So anyway, they suddenly see you for the first time stopping drinking, and you've actually been on a journey thinking about how crappy your hangover is for years. So give them the same grace. Understand Mm -hmm. that the first time they've ever even considered changing their relationship with alcohol might be the moment that you came in the room and said, I'm thinking about taking a break from alcohol. So be patient and just leave them alone and lead by example. So that's my first thing. This is like a marriage saver because then you're not like everything else. Then comes the conversation. Now, we know how communication happens in marriages. It doesn't happen flippantly while you're tired. It doesn't happen while you're busy washing dishes and they're doing everything else. It happens when you're sitting quietly, looking at each other with honesty, talking from the heart. And what you say is, hey, I'm trying to change my relationship with alcohol. I know you don't have an issue. You don't have any problem with it at the moment. You've got no interest in changing, but I do. It hurts me. It causes me to do this and that. And I don't want to be that way. I want to be healthier. I want to be better version of me. And all I am asking is for a little bit of help. And here is how you can help me. Number one, when you go and get your drink, ask me what alcohol-free alternative I want. Support me. Just be my champion, right? All I'm trying to do is be a better version of myself. I'll leave you alone if you just help me be a better version of me. Right now, what kind of idiot is not going to support you with that kind of communication right and build turning them into your champion and your supporter is the best possible thing you can do for you then i think the next thing comes on is when is it time to say enough is enough and that always happens when you have changed your relationship with alcohol when you've gone all in on yourself and you're doing it and they're cutting you back they're distracting you You've tried the straight talk communication that I talked about before. You've said, hey, this is me. I'll leave you alone and everything else. But they're still not being helpful. They're still sabotaging you. Then you need to ask some questions. Then you need to be asking yourself, maybe I've moved forward. One last thing here. Through our programs, a lot of the work that we do, we effectively drill down to people of who they are at their core. And this is often what people struggle with. It's a reason why they drink. They're leaving lack of meaning and purpose in their lives. They don't feel like they're congruent. They feel like they're they're shit and they're not showing up to their true worth. They're not in optimal health. They're fucking up parenting. They're fucking up their work. And they're just like, God damn, I can't cope with how much I'm rubbishing everything I'm going to drink. right? Yeah. But when we get them to see all of that, Get rid of all of that rubbish and start aiming in the direction of being super positive and where their life is going and the impact that they want to have. And they're driven and they're focused and they're just out there crushing it. We effectively create a new lens. Now, when you bring that new lens up, this is what you, you will tolerate in life and what you will not tolerate life. As you raise yourself, that tolerance level create, raises up and raises up. And soon some of those things don't fit in anymore. Some of yeah. those friendships don't fit anymore. Some of those behaviors at work don't fit in anymore. Some of those mm. things and places you used to go to, they don't fit in anymore. And sometimes those relationships don't fit in anymore. And that yeah. is the clarifying process. So,
0: and yeah. I think that, it, yeah, bang on. And it, something that people need to remember when they're embarking on on this journey is that growth and development is painful. And it can oh, be very yeah. lonely. It can be very lonely. Um my wife has talked about that. There's other people I know that have talked about the loneliness associated with making the decision to not have alcohol in your life. Yeah. And it's very real. And I think that your, your partners and your family members and your friends and the people that you surround yourself with need to be aware of that. So if you are listening and you have a friend who's going through it, don't let them sit in the loneliness. It doesn't have to be that way.
1: Loneliness is one of the most powerful emotions. And like many of our emotions, what happens is we originally feel usually boredom. Boredom kicks in and then very much attaches into loneliness. And loneliness is rarely the loneliness we feel of today. Okay. So today we can consciously rationalize our loneliness. We say, oh, you know, uh, well, I've gone away from my partner and I'm in a different country, but I will be back because you couldn't consciously. Well, that's the prefrontal cortex right that's the rational thing that helps Reasoning. you understand yeah mm. again you didn't have it as a child okay right. so when you were left out of the room or abandoned by your parent right and even just in an early stage you see a baby losing its mum or taken away from its mum after it's born it's absolutely freaking out the baby doesn't know the mum is coming back okay now what happens is is when we feel loneliness of today we actually attach back to those old emotions now today we can actually cope with the loneliness feeling but you can't cope with the loneliness you felt as a child. It's too mm. powerful. And yeah. what we do is rush those old emotions in. We think it's the loneliness we feel today, and it becomes overwhelming for us. And part of the work to do is actually to detach, to understand, hey, I'm, I'm okay. I know you felt lonely back then. This is you talking to your own child. Yep. Yeah. Um, and this is like part of IFS and amazing tools that do that help people process these things. Hey, I know you felt extreme loneliness back then, little Ruri. I know that is incredibly sad, but I don't feel that way today. Actually, I know I feel a little bit lonely right now, but I know that tomorrow I'll be with my friends again. And I yeah. know that I'm surrounded by really good people. And that's how we help put those loneliness feelings at bay. On top of that, One of the biggest things that drives people back to alcohol is the fact that when they choose to stop drinking, everyone in their circle is drinking alcohol. And so in order for them to feel connected, they Mm -hmm. have to come back to the group. And unfortunately or fortunately, unless you're a sociopath, you cannot be disconnected. And so what many people do is they go and they stop, they avoid, they go to do dry January, they take a month off, they avoid all of their social circle, they avoid all their friends, and they become more disconnected. And that yes. will surely, but absolutely drive them back, which is the importance of creating connection and friendships and people around you who are living how you want to live. Yeah. That is incredibly important.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much. I've absolutely adored this conversation. It's so important that we have it. Um, it's, it's one of those topics that we carry so much shame and embarrassment around, I think, um, especially for people who are successful in their lives in many other ways, who d- can't, this one thing they can't seem to get a hold of. Um, and I think One Year No Beer is a brilliant, brilliant way to start that journey and to yeah. redefine the relationship with alcohol. So totally. thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It's thank so you, important. And I'm going to I'm going to leave you with one last question because I I often ask my guests this question. So was there ever a time where you did not feel like you could or should speak up and out about something and you wish that you did but you didn't and why? What was it and why? Oh.
1: I'm a very outspoken human. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't picked that up. My my wife says I'm I'm socially inept and and I must also be autistic on top of the ADHD and bipolar um so You've got all the superpowers all then. So I'll like, <laughs> just stay away. You're so glad this is virtual Jenny, trust me. No. Um but um things I've not spoken up. I think um there's there's a lot. Um, I think the biggest thing in here is that my dad was a peacekeeper um, and so he taught us as kids to always walk away Um, and what that meant is in school that me and my two brothers who were all quite closely aged who were all quite big we weren't small were all bullied individually by one individual and we never grouped together we never turned around and supported each other and we were and and lots of bullying went on but what I will never, ever, ever, ever teach my kids is that message. Um, and and I think that I wish I'd been taught to stand up for myself um, and not allow bullies. Now, because I had that experience as a child, I've had many people try to bully me in business. I've had many, many people try to take advantage of me. And there's mm-hmm. lots of people out there who will say, it's not worth it. Don't do it. Sorry. I call my lawyers every single time um, yeah. because it's just, it. do not let People bully you. My um, favorite so... <laughs> line
0: that I use often is, "I'm not the one." Yeah, go knock on someone else's door. I'm not the one.
1: You're not the one. You're going to be able to take advantage of. Just so exactly you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wrong door here. <laughs> yeah, not <Ball> moving. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So there's, 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 there's regret in there, but that regret has fueled a change in mentality and also how I communicate with my children and how I help them navigate the difficulties of, of childhood and how important my two daughters sticking together is um, mm. over, over issues and things like that. So yeah, we all learn oh, from brilliant. these things, don't
0: we? Yeah. And I'm sure that those experiences have, you've obviously have carried through into your business life and, and the way that you conduct yourself. As an adult, so that's brilliant. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for uh, helping
1: spread this message, Jenny. Kudos to you and the team. You know, this is my big thing. This is just what I'm saying: is we're just got to keep spreading this message to as many people as possible. It's really simple. Everything you're looking for, everything that you want to achieve, can be got by actually help. Just start reducing how much you're drinking. Just make it that way. Um, and if you've tried a little bit and you've done it a little time and you've maybe taken a break before and a break before and, and if it keeps coming back well the problem's getting worse get support, get help there's so much out there there's so much we do it in bucket loads if you want to come and get some help from us and you know I love this example sorry Jenny I wanted to do the Majorca 312, right? 312-kilometer 312 cycle race around Mallorca, 5,000 meters of climb, huge wow. thing, one of the most challenging cycle races in the world. And so I went, I entered into the thing, I trained loads, I went cycling like a madman, and I, then I entered into the competition and I went round and I got to the sprint version where the turnoff is, and I was like, fuck, I'm ruined, I'm just going to do the sprint version. So I finished at 167, demoralized, pissed off, I told everybody that I was doing the 312. I then hired a coach and the coach said to me, I've looked at your data Ruri and I just want to let you know that you are never going to do the Mallorca 312 (laughs) red red rag to a bull, red rag to a bull. (laughs) Fuck you. I'll fucking do it. Right. Next coach. No, he said, no, no, no. With, with the way you are cy- cycling, it's actually impossible for you to do a 312. What are you talking about? So, well, you're spending all your time in zone six, zone five. As an endurance athlete, you can't possibly do that. You have to spend all of your time in zone two. I want you to go out there and cycle like you're reading a newspaper, not even a bead of sweat on. And so, surely enough, I did that for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Then I ended the Miorca 312. I did it in 11 hours 40, and the pros are doing it in 10. I smashed wow. it out the park. So, that is the difference of trying to figure shit out on your own or just hiring a coach, getting some support, find, you know, the books that have been written about it. There's so much out
0: there. So find another way. There's always a way. Yes. I love that. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. We will spread the word our side. And uh, thank you for the work that you're doing, because I'm sure you're saving lives.
1: Yeah. Yes, we are. Thank you, Jenny.
0: Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Why Are We Whispering podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and leave a review. You can also follow us on Instagram at why whisper Podcast. And don't forget to speak up and out. Let's stop whispering.